when the money starts to lose its value, you start to want more of it because it doesn't last in your hands. People who would not steal otherwise, people who would not prostitute themselves, begin to do that out of desperation. So fiat has destroyed, it's not only destroying commodity quality, it's not only making things more expensive, it is literally turning the people into monsters. Hey everybody, welcome to the What Is Money show. I am thrilled to have you here joining me on my mission to help shine light on the corruption of money. Now, if this is your first time listening to the What Is Money show, I strongly recommend that you go back to episodes one through nine first, which lays a lot of the groundwork for many of the concepts that we explore on the show. These first nine episodes are my series with Michael Saylor and thousands of people have told me that this is the best podcast series they've ever heard hands down, and that it was instrumental to their understanding of money and Bitcoin. So if you're looking to start a deep dive into the nature of money, I don't think there's any place better that you can start other than episode one of this show. Now, a little bit about this show and how it makes money. The What Is Money show is 100% sponsor based. So all of our revenues are derived from direct sponsorships. And I strive to be very selective about the sponsors that I work with, specifically only using sponsors that I use personally, and also choosing sponsors that have values which are well aligned to the values expressed on this show, such as freedom, education, self-sovereignty, etc. So what I'm going to do now is a few ad reads right at the top of the show, and then I'll do a few more ad reads in the middle. And I hope you'll take the time to listen to them, as again, these are hand-selected sponsors, and I think you'll like what they have to offer. Today's podcast is brought to you by In Wolf's Clothing. Wolf is the first startup accelerator dedicated exclusively to the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Four times per year, Wolf brings teams from around the world to New York City to work with like-minded entrepreneurs, pushing the boundaries of what's possible with Bitcoin and Lightning. The program is designed to help early-stage companies achieve product market fit, develop their brand, secure early-stage funding, and grow businesses that help fuel the global adoption of Bitcoin. So go to wolfnyc.com to learn more about the program or apply. Again, that's WolfNYC, W-O-L-F-N-Y-C.com. Econ Bro, welcome to the What Is Money show. Um, thank you. Um, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you on. Uh, we connected on Twitter, and uh, after a little bit of discussion, I thought you would be an excellent guest to have on and continue our our series of episodes where we are exploring the nature of money in specific countries today. Uh, just by way of quick introduction, you are an Austrian economist living in Nigeria. Yes. So we'll be talking about what is money in Nigeria today. Um, but to get started, I would love for you to share just a little bit about your personal journey um, into economics, money, liberty, um, and how you've, as you said, you've taken a journey from statism to liberty. So maybe we could just start with a little bit of your background and your journey to this point. Okay, sure. So um, I studied um, economics at university. Um, 
um, how I how I got to study that is a long story. It's irrelevant. I studied economics at university, and um, of course, um, regardless of where you study economics in the world, whether it's in the U.S. or in Nigeria or in France, they pretty much teach you the same thing, just basic Keynesianism. Mm-hmm. So um, while I was at university, I, I used to have conflicts with my lecturers, my professors. Um, I used to have questions they couldn't answer. And initially I thought they couldn't answer my questions because um, I, I thought they were inferior um, lecturers. Um, so after um, my getting my bachelor's degree in economics, I wanted to advance my studies. So I, I, I applied to um, for a scholarship at Caltech, California Institute of Technology, to study economics there. And um, I didn't get the scholarship and I didn't have enough money to afford um, paying the tuition and all that. So I decided that I would just study online. I thought that I, I, I thought all the um, material is already out there. So I'll just read up online. I don't need um, a degree to, to actually know economics, right? So I started to study and then I found out, that was when I found out that and, um, the problem wasn't with my professors in school, but it was with the economics we were taught at university. So I started to study and then eventually I came across um, Milton Friedman, Thomas Sowell, F.A. Hayek, and I looked into um, other schools of thought. And then uh, sometime in, so I, I, I was very, very familiar with free market economics after um, looking into all these, the aforementioned um, people. I didn't really know anything about Mises. I had never heard the name. I had heard Mises, but I'd never heard um, Rothbard. So it was sometime in 2021 or 22. I can't remember. Um, I was watching a podcast where um, Dave Smith was on, um, the comedian. Um, Dave Smith was on Larry Sharp, um, Spike Cohen. They were um, on a podcast. And then Dave Smith said, um, he's a Rothbardian. And then I was curious, what's that? So I looked up um, um, Rothbardian and then I saw um, Rothbard. So I started to study his works and I was, I mean, I've, I've skipped away a whole lot, but I was blown away by, so I, I was already into Hayek and Saul and, and Milton Friedman. So reading Rothbard and eventually that was what led me to Mises, pretty much the same thing, um, just changed my whole perspective, not just on economics but um, my perspective on life in general so that's how i basically became um an anarcho-capitalist you know mm. so full-time australian economist and um anarcho-capitalist so in, in summary that's yeah. how i got to where i am today yeah it's, it's a cool journey and uh mirrors many people that i know um they typically discover one of the Austrian authors and they really jive with one of them, whether it's Mises, often Hayek, often Rothbard. Um, what who, what was your entry point into Rothbard? Which books of his did you go into first? Um, the Case Against the Fed was my first book. And um, money, Man, Economy and State, obviously. Yeah. But um, The Case Against the Fed was my first book because... The, the reason why I went for that was because, um, as I said, I had already studied Tom Sowell and a little bit of Hayek and Milton Friedman. And I, I eventually got to find out because I thought, I mean, what, what would anyone have against 
Milton Friedman, right? That was what I was thinking. Mm -hmm. And then I discovered that the only difference between, or the major difference between um, Milton Friedman and those of the Austrians who is what they believe on money. There are other differences, but that was the major one. So I really didn't know much about um, money. You know, I didn't know more than what I was told at school uh, about money. So um, I so I went straight for um, um, Rothbard books that had to do with money to see what the difference um, was. And that was what led me to the case against the Fed and what has government done to our money. Eventually, theory of money and credit, uh, you know, um, I've um, money sound and unsound by um, Joe Salerno. You know, I, I still have Huerta de Soto's book lined up to read. I've read The Ethics of Money Production by Yorki de Holzman. Pretty much um, all the good, most of the good stuff I've, I've read. So. Yeah, I've read many of those, not all of them. Um, and I'm not actually very familiar with Milton Friedman's work. I've seen some of his speeches, but I've not read any of his work. What, um, I guess, what was the, what were the light bulb moments for you as you started to transition into Austrian economics? What were the what moments? Some of the light bulb moments, like the aha moments where you said, oh, you know, what, whatever okay. you weren't okay. learning in school, and then maybe all of a sudden it made sense once you got into Austrian economics. Yeah, so for money specifically, when we were taught something called the money money multiplier at university, it didn't make sense to me. I didn't know where money came from. I didn't understand how the equation factored into anything in real life. Um, so it was when I started to um, read the case against the Fed, and I discovered the evil of not just central bank counterfeiting, but fractional reserve um, credit expansion, you know, which then the money multiplier equation just represents that. And my mind was blown. I was like, what sorcery is this? And um, yeah, it, that that was one of the major things for me, finding out that not only the, um, do the central banks have the ability to counterfeit um, currency, but... And the commercial banks, with the help of the central banks, can um, actually do the same thing. And then, of course, that leads you eventually to um, Cantillon effects and to um, boom and bust cycles, as explained by the Austrian business cycle theory. And you know, so it was it was that that, that was it for me. Mm, gotcha. Was you said the difference between Friedman and Rothbard was largely on money? What what is what was the divergence in their viewpoints? Um, um, first of all, uh, Milton Friedman did not believe in markets. You know, he, unlike Hayek, who believed that there was, um, he wrote the denationalization of money, Hayek's um, yeah. great book. Um, um, Milton Friedman believed that money should be controlled by the states. He believed in fiat. He was very anti-gold. I, I wonder what his stance would have been on Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in general, but he was, he was, he was, he, he believed that the, the, the Great Depression happened not because of, um, expansion of money and credit as Australian economists believe, but he believed that the, the Federal Reserve was responsible because uh, his explanation was that they did not inflate the currency when they should have, you know, so we are here complaining that and um, inflating the currencies was causing the problem. And Milton Friedman said, um, the problem is we have the problem because the Fed did not inflate it on time or did not inflate enough. So that's just um, ridiculous. Yeah, that's amazing that someone that 
is considered to be such a prominent leader in economics recently, right? I mean, this guy was a, a prominent economic thinker of the 20th century, could have yeah. views that are just so ridiculous, right? <laughs> we didn't yeah. counterfeit enough money to get the economy going again. It's, yeah. it's crazy. Um, Hayek once called him, I saw a video where Hayek called him a Keynesian. Is, and I, I completely agree because his monetary policy is really not too different from um, Keynes's uh, monetary theory, monetary policy. It's pretty much the same thing. Yeah, it seems because he's also known to be like a proponent of free markets. But I don't, yes. those, those two things don't reconcile for me. It's like you can't be a proponent for free markets, but then think that somehow the market for money is an exception that needs to be centrally planned. That that's just ridiculous. Like, oh, let's have free markets in cars, but not in uh, potato chips. We need to centrally plan those. It's like, why? These are all market goods. It's just, I don't know. It's absurd. So I, 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 I it's it's not altogether incoherent if you are coming from a Keynesian perspective, as I did. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I thought money was a separate thing entirely. One of the breakthroughs of the Austrian school, um, I, I, I received from the Austrian school was. When I learned that money is actually a commodity, money emerged um, out of being a commodity. So that was a light bulb um, moment for me as well. Um, so I thought money was something else entirely. So I was fine with markets when I was looking into, um, when I was learning from Milton Friedman, I was fine with markets being free, but I could not, I had no idea that there was such a thing as um, market money, you know, as money existing. Um, apart from the state. So it sounds ridiculous now, but um, back then it made a lot of sense, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely makes sense in a Keynesian framework, but um, I don't know. If you, I guess peeling the layers back, it's like where else could have money come from, right? We've had markets longer than we've had states. But yeah, before I discovered Austrian economics, I too shared the delusion that money was perhaps somehow different. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know. And now, I guess like all things, when you learn them, they seem sort of obvious in retrospect. Yeah. Um, okay, well, so that's cool. So you you live in Nigeria. You're an Austrian economist. Um, let's dive into the, the topic of today's show, which is really what is money in Nigeria? Um and I guess we should start with the monetary history of Nigeria uh, and just sort of build it up into the current day. So where should we start this journey? Um, I Well, our, our monetary history is divided into, I think, maybe three or four um, periods. Let, let me put it that way. If we have the pre-colonial era where we used... Um, where we had actual commodity monies, like um, cowries, um, manilas, beads, bottles, salt, iron nails, you know. So this was pre, um, the pre before um, colonialism. So we had our own money. And some of these monies actually existed well into the colonial era. As, I, 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 as recently as in the 20th century, I know cowries were still used as money in the country. I mean, even till this day, to this day, rather, there are um, places in Nigeria where um, cattle is used in certain transactions. It's not, not 
um, like a used capsule to buy a loaf of bread, but maybe someone wants to marry a woman in some village in certain parts of the country, you can actually pay the bride price with capital. So technically it's not money, but if you think about it, it is money because you're using it to um, purchase um, um, or pay for your wife. I'm being careful with those words. Even though we do have slavery here still, but just to make sure I'm not encouraging um, that. So that that's the pre, pre-colonial money, you know, um, all those kinds of things. So our first major currency issue in Nigeria was, um, I think in 1880, um, when the, the British introduced um, the shillings and the pence as legal tender um, currency in British West Africa. So it wasn't just in Nigeria. Um, Nigeria was officially amalgamated in 1914. So, but we had, so before that, it was just um, Nigeria. It was West Africa, right? So we became... Um, Nigeria in 1914, um, a sovereign people. So, um, so in that, in 1880, um, was when we had our first major currency, um, issue. So, um, we use that, um, till, and by the way, these, these, um, these, um, um, shillings were issued by private banks. So it wasn't like there was one central bank at the time, um, supplying, um, this currency, you know, I don't know the details of how that worked, but I can imagine, um, I don't know the exact details, but I can imagine how that um, would have played out. Um, so in 1912 to 1959, um, we had the West African Currency Board, which issued the first set of banks and coins in Nigeria, Ghana, Sierra Leone, and the Gambia, you know, the West African um, region. So the um, West African Currency Board issued um, the pound. The the it was the pound. That's what we called it. And um, my parents actually used um, pounds in Nigeria. You know, um, so I, I think it's interesting that we the 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 West African Currency Board was established in 1912. Hmm. At the same time, the Federal Reserve was um, getting ready to take off. The, um, I, I when I was looking this up when I was studying this, I found many, um, I found a few things that were, a few coincidences that just, I don't know, they just seemed, um, anyway, let me not get conspiratorial here. So 1912 was- You're in the right place to be conspiratorial. We're all about- (laughs) So so, so backing, do you know who was backing the West African Currency Board was this related to Europe or North America? Yeah, it was the British. It was the British. Yeah, it was the British. So, um, because the, we were colonized by by Britain. Now, um, I was, I was. If you if you read the creature from Jekyll Island, which I believe you would have read, um, you if you listen to any one of Ed, um, Rob, um, G. F. Griffin's talks, he spoke about in the 1950s when the U.S. Federal Reserve sent out ambassadors to countries or central bank ambassadors to preach central banking to um, countries. Yep. And in 1959, still in the 50s, was when Nigeria got her central bank. Mm. So those those dates, see, 1912 and 1959, they seem too suspicious for me. You know, So I think 
them. I think it was, I think this was pushed on the Nigerian people. I don't think we woke up one morning and decided we want a central bank, you know? So, um, I think it was pushed on us. So, um, anyway, in 1959, we had our, um, central bank, um, that issued Nigerian currency by the notes, you know? So, um, eventually we switched from the, the Nigerian pound to the Nigerian Naira. So if I'm not mistaken, um, the Nigerian Naira in the 60s was equal to, or sorry, in the 70s was equal to, um, I think one Naira was equal to um, one British pound, $2, something like that. You know, the exchange rate was, it was basically one to one or two to one. I can't remember off the top of my head when we first used and um, had the Nigerian Naira, just um, as an, interestingly, today, literally today, one um, dollar is worth 1,520 Naira. Wow. So it's a like somewhere between like 750 and 50. Terribly. Yeah, wow. Terribly. That's like, a, a, that's like a million percent um, yeah. of its value lost. You, you know, it's, it's, yeah. It's, 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 it's terrible. Anyway, so um, we, we got our central bank, we got our own currency. And since then we've been using the Naira and the Naira has been falling in value since, um, sorry, can you hear me? Cause can you yes, hear Yes, I can hear you. Okay, good. Yeah. So the Naira has basically been falling in value since, um, since, I mean, it was worthless to begin with. It's just useless paper and um, worthless coins. Yes. We don't use coins anymore because um, we, we don't use them anymore. So we we so the, the naira has basically fallen by so much since we we um, since since we since our central bank established and since the, um, it started we started to use our naira notes our naira and um, so things have just been going from bad to worse. Um, in two thousand and fifteen, we had. Um, a new president coming. One dollar was two hundred naira on the black market at the time, and people were losing their minds. That how can this be? The president has ruined the currency. And 2015 to 2024, the currency has be, it has gone from two hundred naira to a dollar to one thousand five hundred and twenty naira to a dollar. So a lot has happened in the last um, nine years. We elected a progressive, I mean, the presidents before and um, um, the current president and the one before him, they, it's not like they were capitalist or free market people. So, so let, 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 let me explain this. In Nigeria, the political and economic spectrum is very narrow. Our Overton window here is pretty narrow. It, we don't have, you, you don't have anyone talking about free markets here. There is zero talk of free markets in the mainstream in Nigeria. People pay lip service to the free market. They will say, um, we're going to let the market operate. And then when you read the actual policy, it's subsidize this, it's um, tax this, it's um, it's just, it's basically government intervention, right? So they know how, some of them know how to pay lip service to the free market, but they do absolutely nothing. And that is very, very damaging to people like us who are actually preaching free markets. I got into an argument with, a couple of socialists, and because we have actual socialists in the country, I got into an argument with um, a couple of them today, and I was trying to 
um, get them to see that IMF and World Bank policies are not capitalist policies. These are not free market policies, you know, and they kept saying, um, I'm, I'm serving my capitalist overlords, you know, the people who are asking for the government to increase taxes and spend on insert um, sector. Yeah. You know, so um, that's just um, as, as, um, as an aside. So as I was saying, the Overton window here is very small, right? So we, the, the range is from Keynesianism to socialism. We don't even have, we don't even have a, we don't have anything to the right of Keynes here. Absolutely nothing to the right of Keynes here. So no matter what party um, wins in Nigeria, the socialists win. That's just, so our, our situation is, um, although I have hope in this um, situation and I'll get to why I think this is good um, later. How has that but, been living through that? I mean, you've been living in Nigeria for, I, I don't, you've been there for a couple of decades. All my life. Yeah, yeah. whole life. So how has your on-the-ground experience been as the currency has been devalued from, you said 200 to a dollar, all the way down to 1500 to a dollar? Like what has, what have the implications of that been in your lived day-to-day experience? Um, it's very horrible. Things, everything is very, very expensive. Um, wages are not growing, and um, they, all I can say is things are very, very expensive. So uh, I was going to talk. I am. I intend to talk about the the fiat phenomenon in Nigeria. So the effect of this. Um, it's on the outline side. Mm. It's the third thing I intend to talk about. Um, how this has shaped the country it has really changed um the people in so so first of all it's difficult right it's um it's very expensive um before um anyone can afford to buy a car i mean it, it doesn't have to be a good car or a brand new car it could be um, a fairly used a second-hand car so um when they use cars in the us and, and and europe they send them here people buy them you know it's it's not the best but um we that's how we've been getting by for decades Right, but you can't do that. Um, if if you save your salary for two years, you still can't buy a car in this country unless you earn, unless you're a politician or a super big businessman. And business here is just being, um, is crony capitalism. They're, crony, mm-hmm. they're just cronies, um, allies of the government. So, so they aren't actually, they aren't real businessmen, you know, in any sense of the word. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, things are very very. Very difficult here. Schools are on strike, and teachers can't be paid. You know, well, well, I don't think we're far from um, Venezuela. I think at this rate, I think we are maybe at most five years away from um, eating rats. And and, and my people will be mad at me for saying this, Mm -hmm. but it's probably most likely going to happen if things continue um, this way. I think. We're going to have to start eating rats in five years. Yeah, and that's that was something that actually occurred in Venezuela. People were eating. Yeah, I, I heard eating their pets. I never heard eating rats, but yeah, that was yeah. yeah due to the persistent inflation, people can't. The economy doesn't work, right? So desperate times call for desperate measures. Yeah. Um, and so what is the what is the hope then? Where where do you you said you see some hope on the horizon? Where, 
where is that coming from? Um, so my hope is in not to sound conceited or anything. I like to tell people um, upfront, I don't have a messiah complex. I don't think I'm going to save my country or save the world. Um, but I, I, I believe, I hope that I hope I will be able to contribute to progress in this society. So there's something called the, uh, there's this phenomenon in science. It's called the Mpemba effect. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this, um, hot water, like actual hot water, um, cools much faster than room temperature, it freezes rather faster than room temperature water. So if you keep um, hot water, um, on average, if you keep hot water in a freezer and you keep water at room temperature in, in a freezer, the hot water tends to freeze faster than the um, cold water. So I actually experienced, um, I experienced this, you know, bathing with hot water. The hot water normally um, got to room temperature faster than lukewarm water and it didn't make any sense to me so i looked it up and i found out it was a thing so it's called the impemba um effect you should um, try it out it's a, it's an actual thing huh. so I, I i sort of see it as a principle that works not only in science in physics or chemistry but i also see it as a principle that could work with people how do i mean so i've noticed in the west there is a um there is a should I say almost 50-50 split? You have the right and the left. Mm -hmm. So so every time there's push from the right, there's push back from the left. It just keeps going back and forth. No one ever, um, no, no real progress being made if you think about it in the West. But um, so in a manner of speaking, the West is like tepid water. It's like lukewarm, not lukewarm water, mm -hmm. right? And if the goal is to get the water cold, which is to move it um, entirely in one direction, I believe Nigeria is already not. It's not like I believe it's a fact. Nigeria is already um, to the left. Entire we, we are, as I've said, Keynesianism to socialism. That's the spectrum here. So we are altogether on the left. So we can only go rightward. Right is the only way for us to know. Right. So just as the hot water would freeze would cool faster than lukewarm water. I believe um, um, Nigerians would be open to these ideas. And I've seen it happen. And um, this um, sort of segues into the work that I do here um, in the country. So since I discovered um, Rothbard and Mises, and I really understood um, the things that Hayek was saying, that Friedman was saying, that Thomas Sowell was saying, I decided I wasn't going to sit down and watch my country burn, right? Not if I can, not if I have anything to do um, to stop it, right? So, I, and I, I'm nobody, I'm not the son of a politician. I'm not a wealthy person. You know, I'm just some ordinary nobody, you know, in Nigeria. But I have um, the knowledge by God's grace. I'm fairly, I'm I'm of average intelligence. You know, I, I, I'm very great at communicating to and people, especially my people, I know I might not be communicating great to you now, but um, my people, um, I know how to talk to them. Okay, thank you. Um, I, I know how to talk to my people. I'm I'm very very good at convincing people, especially um young people. So um so I I I decided so initially um I I, I decided to reach because so, we had elections last year, presidential elections. So I reached out to a couple of politicians to try to 
um, see if I could get into their campaigns, maybe meet um, the presidential candidates and talk to them. You know, I believe I, I have a gift. I, I really do have a gift of convincing people. Um, I, so I know you're a Christian, so I can say this um, confident. I can say this freely to you. I'm a, I'm a preacher. Right? That's my daily job. I'm a Christian preacher, right? So it's one of the, it's like my ma the major thing I do. So um, I, I know how to speak to people. Like I'm, I'm practicing speaking to people and convincing people, changing their minds. So I felt, okay, if I could reach this man, I, 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 I might just be able to convince him of these ideas. And I got to one of the campaign, I got to um, one of the leading, the campaign officers of one of the leading politicians. And um, basically what I was told was, the big man has no interest in any of these things you're saying. All he wants to know is how many votes can you get him? Mm. And now I did not hear this from the big man himself. Right. You know, he has, um, they have gatekeepers who won't let you get to him, you know? Yeah. And um, so, and I, I wasn't ready to play that game. And I pulled out of the campaign. I tried to reach another, I tried to um, join myself to another political campaign that also didn't work out. And I just decided instead of doing this, right, um, I would try and gather what resources I can and go directly to the people. Let me play the long game, right? Mm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm much better at talking to younger people than I am I'm talking to older people. So I said I would go to young people and talk to them about these ideas. These ideas, Austrian economics is, Austro-libertarianism as a whole is a very, very interesting um, thing. It's not, I, I studied economics four years at the university. Very, very boring. It makes you want to slit your own throat. It's in, incredibly boring. You know, all the graphs and mathematical models and all that nonsense that doesn't even work. You know, you have to sit through that hours and hours. What Australian economics is, I mean, just tune into any Tom Woods lecture, any Walter Block lecture, even old lectures from Rothbard and Mises. Very interesting, very easy to understand. And, and for, um, places like Nigeria, these ideas are exotic. They haven't heard anything of the sort. Everything they hear is the government must raise taxes and then spend the tax on building roads. So when we start talking to them about things that are, are entirely different from what they know, they don't, um, they are, they're intrigued. They, they don't agree normally, but then they're intrigued and then they start to listen. Anyway, so I started to host um, seminars um, at universities. Um, around the country. Mm -hmm. So I talk to people um, and because our biggest problem so far is inflation. Our biggest problem is a monetary problem. I don't focus too much on markets. You know, I, I do that in my writings. I, I write, I have free articles on, um, I have a free Substack where I post my articles there. So I talk about taxes and regulation there. But when I go to these students, I talk to them about money. So we just, I just talk to them about money, get them to understand money, how money originated, the various forms of money, and what. And they're, they're, so my last um, seminar was in in June of um, last year, right? Mm -hmm. I would I, I would have loved to do more than that, but I'm strapped for. I don't have enough. I'm I'm doing this alone. So so I I I I I I I, I, I the last one in June when I spoke to them about what the central bank does, how the central bank is basically a counterfeiting um, cartel. You know, their minds were blown. They, now, these are university students from their first year. To, so we have four years in university. Yeah. First through um, four years. So we had all, all the years represented in, 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 at this seminar. And none of them knew what I was talking about. Wow. 
but they all walked away thinking, this is very interesting. Why don't we know this? Why don't our professors um, teach this? You know, and some of those people actually came back to me and they were like, we want to know more. So I started a group with them where we discuss online. We have weekly um, um, group um, meetings like this, you know, where we talk about these things, why I teach them, you know, I'm, I'm hoping there are a couple of them on Twitter that I've been speaking with. And then there are some I even met, actually just met them on Twitter. You know, they saw my tweets and they're like, well, this is interesting. Tell me more. Mm -hmm. You know, so I give them, thank, thank God for the Mises Institute and the good work they're doing. They give out um, their books for free. So I always tell people, here, money, come from your state. Here, what well, has government done to our money? Economics is one lesson. So I just hand them out and people are reading them and it's slow, but um, I see I see a lot of, I, I, I can really see this catching on. And that's my hope. That's my hope. The exotic nature of the ideas, very, very exotic, very simple to understand. And the fact that people are, gen people are tired, just like Argentinians, were tired of um, socialism in their country and decided to go all the way to um, an ANCAP, yeah. self-proclaimed ANCAP. And, you know, just so I, I feel Nigeria is almost at that point where they would, I think we might get maybe one or two more socialists for the pain to really, really, um, for people to really feel the pain. And then I think in the same way, we would run um, towards they would run towards solutions like the ones we offer. So I'm trying to, my goal is that in 10 to 15 years, I would have either directly or indirectly reached at least a million Nigerian people. So these million people are going to be politicians tomorrow. They're going to be businessmen. They're going to be teachers. Basically, I'm going to, I want to subvert the system. That's my goal. That's great. If you are a business owner or manager, you should know these three numbers. 36,000, 25, and 1. 36,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, which allows you to streamline accounting, financial management, human resources, and more. NetSuite turns 25 years old this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days rather than weeks, and to drive down cost. And finally, 1, because your business is one of a kind. So with NetSuite, you get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. NetSuite is everything you need all in one place. Right now, you can download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash whatismoney. That's netsuite.com slash whatismoney to get your free KPI checklist. Again, netsuite.com slash what is money. I heard, or I guess I read in the news that there was an attempt to push out a CBDC in Nigeria yeah. and that Nigerians resisted that implementation and that it was ultimately abandoned or postponed. Could you tell me a bit about that? Like what, what, I guess this is called the E-Naira. Yeah. What was the outcome of that? project or, or where is it today? Yeah. So this is one of the, um, one of the most misunderstood story, monetary stories out of Nigeria. So I, I follow Professor and um, Professor St. Onge, um, mm -hmm. and most of the guys at the Mises Institute. So whenever there's something Nigeria related, they usually, I'm usually the, the guy, the, um, ask, Hey, what's happening here? 
So um, people put out articles, even there were articles on the Mises Institute saying the same thing, that Nigerians rejected um, central bank digital currencies. So here is actually what happened. They tried to roll out the ENIR, our CBDC in 2001, but it didn't fly. Like nobody had, no one was interested in it. People were skeptical. They thought it was cryptocurrency. So nobody really knew what it was. And um, thankfully our government is, it, our government is bad at everything, even at propaganda, right? Mm-hmm. So um, they were not able to spread the information to convince people to use the ENIR. So that didn't fly at all. People didn't know what it was. However, um, in 2022, towards the end of 2022, our president, um, the, the, our central bank announced that they were going to redesign our currency. That's what they called it, a currency redesign. So they said um, our 1,000 Naira notes, our um, 1,000 Naira bill, um, 500 Naira bill and 200 Naira bill are three highest denominations. They said um, those um, bills are not going to be in circulation after um, so and so time. So turn in the old notes and then we'll give you the new ones. So those of us who, um, some of us smelt a rat immediately. This sounds suspicious, but um, people went in and turned in their um, their cash because they were scared. Um, and then the government told them, fine, we'll give you the cash later. So they, you, you, you go into the bank and pay your um, Naira and then they just credit your account. So that was where people started to shout. They're trying to um, give us a central bank digital currency. You know, but so, so that wasn't actually what, so the reason why they did that. So in Nigeria, we have a problem here. And um, during elections, people, politicians literally buy votes with cash. So sure. they go to the villages. People are terribly poor here. So they give them, um, they give them, uh, 5,000 naira, which is like what, two, three dollars now. They give them 5,000 naira. Then they show their voter ID and then they vote for the candidates um, who's the candidates um, that gave them the 5,000. That's what they do here. So um, during election season, we, you, let, you have wards of cash floating around. And the last president was trying to put a stop to that, which was why he said they were going to redesign the Naira so that people would turn in their cash and then those who had plans to buy votes would not be able to do that. Now, um, so that was, it, it wasn't about central bank digital currencies at all. Mm-hmm. So the Western media got that entirely wrong. It wasn't about central bank digital currencies. So um, immediately after the elections, cash was back in circulation. Now, people got it wrong because there were riots and people were burning banks. So people were saying Nigerians were protesting CBDCs. No, no. They were, people were just hungry. They didn't have access to their money. And over like um, advanced countries of the world, um, I would I would say 60% of our population does not have access to um, internet banking of any sort. So people were left hungry, unable to transact. So they were, obviously those people would take to the streets and burn banks and beat um, banking officials and all that. So immediately after the elections um, in February, cash, um, I mean, a week later, there was cash everywhere. So it's not like Nigerians fought against central bank digital currencies. Now, I would have loved, I would have loved it if Nigerians in fact fought against it because that would mean um, there is something in us that is weary of governments having that kind of power, right? But that was what happened. I, 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 I said this to Doctor Bob Murphy when I was on his show. I believe if the Nigerian government has a way of getting people, um, of getting people 
enough internet coverage and people are educated enough here to use internet banking services, Nigeria would be the easiest place in the world to push central bank digital currencies. We love the government in this place. So Nigeria is not some example of a freedom-loving people that push back against authoritarianism. Not at all. Nigerians will sit and take anything that daddy government tells them to take. So, so I, I would have loved for it to be the case, but that was why is that? So that why was, do you think that is a product of conditioning? Is this a cultural thing? Like, what is the excessive willingness to compliant to comply? What is that about? Yeah. I mean, so yeah, it's a cultural thing, and um, my society is very big on respect. Um, respect your elders, respect your parents. Um, we bow when greeting our elders. I know you might have met one or two Nigerians who maybe don't do that, but um, generally that's how we are here. You know, you bow before your elders, you greet. It's, it's slowly, we're slowly losing that good part of our culture um, to Western progressivism. You know, we're slowly losing that. But generally that's how Nigerians are. We're very respectful. So we are told to respect the government. I mean, if you respect and mother and father and father, mother and father respect and um, state officials, obviously respect, respect them. So there is a cultural um, aspect to it. There is also, so we have a large Muslim um, population here. Nigeria is like 50% Muslim, 50% Christian. So there's also the, the Muslims um, also have this respect for the authority that's above them. And if the leader happens to be a Muslim, um, that's, better for them, you know, so it's easy for them to, so there's that as well. There's also, um, I don't know, I think we were beating it. So there, there's this um, story. There is a, there is a, one of the heroes in, in, in Nigerian history, uh, Jaja Opobo is his name. He was a, Jaja is a title, like king of a place called Opobo. So this man, he was like the Shaka Zulu of, uh, of Nigeria. He fought against um he fought against um the colonial masters and it didn't really end well for him but he fought against them and um so people from that region are actually known to be um they are actually known to be weary of authority i don't know how to i don't know how else to mm-hmm. not to be careful with my words because people are very sensitive about these things here so um, um skeptical so, of authority yeah, okay. Yeah. Let, let me say that. They're skept- or they were a skeptical of authority, you know, but I think after, I think colonialism broke, even broke those, the spirit of those people, mm. you know, so um, everybody just, by the way, I'm not one of those, anyway, I'm, I'm, not, going to, I'm not going to say it. Um, so people just love authority. Here, let me just um, leave it at that. So I, I'm, I, I don't, I, I, I'm not self-censoring because um, I'm afraid that this will be demonetized or whatever. Um, here, um, it's life and death. It's not, you know, you could get you could a, a girl. A girl was stoned um, and burned to death at a university in this country because they said she blasphemed the prophet of Islam. We don't know whether it's true or not, but it actually happened. You know, so again, it's life and death. Wow. So that's why I'm yeah. That was recent. Um, yeah, last year. Wow. Yeah, last year. Wow. Is it a mostly Muslim country? 
I mean, it's 50-50. They say it's mostly Muslim, but I don't think so. I think it's 50-50. But um, the North is Muslim. The South is Christian. That's how it is. And um, uh, you have, of course, you have Christians in the North and Muslims in the South as well. But majorly Christians are in the South. So up North is where I say it's, it's more dangerous in the North. Mm-hmm. These people in the South are a little more progressive. Um, yeah. If I lived in the South, I would be less cautious. For instance, um, um, homosexuality does not work here. It doesn't fly here at all. It's it's illegal. You know, you get a 14-year um, sentence for being gay. I would have the intent. Um, I, I don't know how they're going to police gay, but okay. Um, I mean, it's one thing if they... If they uh, it's one thing if they find people in the act. It's, apart from that, I don't know how else they intend to... to police being gay so in the in the north um it's taken very very seriously but down south even though um it's against the law it's it's frowned upon in the south but nobody really cares you know so, do you yeah so that's how the country is wow divided. sounds like there's just a lot of challenges uh living there what what is the role of bitcoin in all of this i mean it does Bitcoin stand to fix some of the problems from a monetary standpoint in Nigeria and, and possibly beyond just the monetary sphere? Like, Obviously, we talk a lot about Bitcoin and we talk about many of the second order effects it creates, right? You fix the money, you fix this, you fix the culture, you fix yeah. governance, etc. Um, how do you view the role of Bitcoin in fixing problems in Nigeria? Um, so... I, I genuinely believe fix the money, fix the people. I genuinely believe that. I say it and people say I'm just being um, fanatical. I'm being um, idealistic. But I genuinely believe that the if, if, if your money is bad, then your people will most likely go the way the money goes. Mm-hmm. And um, so if you have good money, if you have sound non-inflationary money, I believe it will go a long way. Um, so there are certain fact, um, factors that are cultural, right? Okay, so let, let me give this um, example. I was talking with Zubi when he was here last year. We had a law elected conversation. We met and uh, we were discussing. And then I was explaining some of these things to him. And I told him um, this fix the money, fix the people thing. And I, I, I pointed out to him that, that countries that have high inflation usually... Um, I'll get to Bitcoin, like this, this, I'm building up to it. So I, I explained to him that um, countries, if you observe countries that have, um, as, as the current, as the currency starts to decline in value, as you have inflation, um, you start to see a um, rise in crime. I mean, obviously, I, I don't need to explain to anyone why that is. Um, you start to see all kinds of crazy things um, here in Nigeria. So um, kidnappings are, are, Kidnapping is like the most lucrative business here in the country now. People are being, I mean, a girl was kidnapped. Um, a girl, her sister, and I think her mother were kidnapped in their home in the city where I live two or three weeks ago. And one of the children was killed just to prove a 15 or 16 year old girl was killed just to prove to um, her parents that they were not playing around. So that kind of thing. And it wasn't like that point. Is it ransom? What, what's the point of the kidnapping? Yeah, ransom. Ransom. It's not like yeah. it's, it's ransom. So um, 
you can't travel. A, a train was attacked, um, I think last year, two, two years ago, um, the train was attacked and people were kidnapped and, you know, someone, a, a, a young lady, I think a medical doctor was killed on the train, you know, just during the, um, while they were trying to um, hold up the train, you know, and the girl was tweeting, you know, with her last breath because the train passes through um, what I would call a forest, you know, it's like empty, barren, um, not barren, just just a forest. Mm -hmm. So she was tweeting, um, 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 kidnappers just hijacked the train and I, I was shot and bleeding and people were swearing at her, calling her a bitch. The, the pro-government people saying she just hates the president, she hates the country, you know, and the next day they found her corpse and where she said, um, it, it, where she where she treated that she was, you know, so things like that happen all the time. People are a, a man was kidnapped, literally a stone throw away from my house. When I say literally a stone throw away from my house, someone was kidnapped very close to where I live very recently. So And what is the connection here? What is the for the people that don't understand the connection between the debasement of the money and this rise in crime? What is the connection? Okay. So as money loses its value people all of a sudden want more of it because if you have um if ten dollars could was sufficient to meet your needs in the past but after inflation you can barely eat um lunch with ten dollars then you want to get um you want to get more more money which in itself is the definition the definition of avarice of greed you know so just, and, and, and human beings have a tendency to both good and evil, but unfortunately it's, it's, it's much easier for us to follow the evil, our ev the evil side of, our, as Christians would call it, it's easier to follow our flesh, mm. you know? So, so, um, when the money starts to lose its value, you start to want more of it because it doesn't last in your hands. And then this tends to make people do and there are only in, in a country where in the society where you have inflation, it's it's automatic that there will be other economic problems like unemployment, right? There won't be jobs or the jobs would not pay well. Mm. So there there is very little you can do legally to make uh, more money to meet your needs. And people have to meet their needs. People won't just so people who would not steal otherwise, people who would not women or men who would not prostitute themselves um, begin to do that, right, out of desperation. So um, prostitution is also on the rise here. These things were not, these things have always happened, but they were in the fringe of societies. It wasn't rampant, right? But it's, there's so much prostitution here. There's so much stealing, robbery, internet fraud, and people just want to get rich quick because unlike during the days of our parents when a hundred thousand naira could do a whole lot for you, mm -hmm. today five hundred thousand naira can't do much for you. Mm -hmm. So people want to get rich quick. And then there is this very, very horrifying thing that happens here now. Again, this started um just in it, it resurfaced in 2021 when the previous presidents increased the money printing. So 
Um, the previous president really dialed the printers up to 11. And as soon as the money started to circulate and prices started to increase, there was something that used to happen in the 70s and in the 80s in Nigeria. We have ritual killings where um, you go meet some native doctors, some witch doctor, and then he tells you to bring a human head or to bring a virgin for a sacrifice. So these things are, I thought were in our past, right? But now we actually have, because of the internet, we have videos of 10-year-old boys who went to see a... It's all, it's all over the internet. If you are interested in um, horrifying yourself with those videos, I could send them to you. Of 10-year-old boys who were told by some witch doctor to bring a girl as a sacrifice and they kidnapped some three-year-old kid, beheaded her, chopped her to bits. 10-year-old kids... I mean, so as so, I, I call this the fiat phenomenon. Fiat has destroyed. It's not only destroying commodity quality. It's not only making things more expensive. It is literally turning the people into monsters. Now, where culture comes into this, which was the discussion I had with Zubi. Zubi pointed out this doesn't happen in Japan. This doesn't happen in the UAE. They have inflation as well in those places. So I was like, first of all, the inflation is not the same. Secondly, they have things in their culture. For instance, the Middle Eastern culture, they have Sharia law, where if you if you um, steal, they cut off your hand. So that um, deters people from going to extremes, although it would not deter them for long. The inflation will get to a rate where people will damn the consequences. Right. If it's lose my hand while stealing or perhaps steal and be successful and not die, people yeah. will still steal, even in those um, um, communities. So I... I, I I pointed out to Zubi that in places like Japan, they have cultures that don't tolerate certain kinds of things, those kinds of things. However, the inflation will would affect their people in other ways. That greed is going to find a way to manifest. In Nigeria, where we have a, 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 a culture, we have many cultures that believe in witchcraft and voodoo and all that um, satanic nonsense. Um, it's very difficult to not believe in God if you live in this country and you are open, and you open your eyes to what's going on. It's very difficult. You wow. see so much evil that you just have to believe that there is some divine justice that's going to come for the evil people. So in our country, where we came from a, a place of ritual sacrifices, we we I'm 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 I, I kid you not, I am like just three generations removed um, removed from ritual killers, from people who worship idols and sacrifice twins, you know, to the gods in the evil forest. I'm three generations my great grandfather did that nonsense, right. you know. So it's not far; it's not far behind us, right? So this, I mean, what I'm hearing you say here is there is this me kind of a metaphysical propagation of evil, right? When you start yeah. to, again, when you inflate the money supply, which sounds it's such a euphemism, right? It sounds so harmless. Like, it, you, what do you mean? We don't have enough money. Let's make more money. That sounds great. But what you're actually doing is you're just stealing from people, right? Systematically. So it's systematic theft, which is obviously evil, right? If, it, if it's something you don't want done to you and you purposefully do it to another person, I mean, that's that's a definition of evil, right? You're using self-reflection. You're like, oh, what would I not want to happen to me? Let me go and do that to someone else, right? That is, it's, it's inherent to the nature of evil. And so when the systematic theft starts to occur, it narrows the options for legal wealth acquisition, right? People can't yes. 
get a normal job and make ends meet. So therefore they become more desperate, right? And therefore more willing to engage in illicit activities of any kind to survive, right? To get food, to get shelter, whatever it may be. And although I hear, you know, you know, the, the point you make is accurate, I think. So it's, it's, it has a lot to do with how acute is the inflation, obviously. The inflation that Nigeria is experiencing is much more acute than what is going on in Japan, UAE, United States, etc. Yeah. The other piece to that is that the, the capital stocks are much higher in those developed countries. Exactly. There's in Nigeria, exactly. there's not much capital stock. So people are already at the edge of their economic livelihood and they're getting robbed with this very acute, uh, you know, and systematic inflation. That's basically, there's no way to get ahead, right? If there's no way to get ahead, well, of course you're going to go crazy, basically, right? You're going to, you're being treated like an animal. So you start to act like an animal. Exactly. And, and exactly. so it's, it's, a, it's hard. I, I appreciate you going into these, these uncomfortable places because, it's easy to get lost in abstraction when you talk about economics and money and all of these things. And then people find it very difficult to bridge the intellectual gap. It's like, well, how do you go from this world of like abstract financial concepts into this world of like culture and crime, like where people are actually moving and acting in real time. But I think that, you know, I I would assume most economists would agree you know, money really is it probably the primary motivational force in the world. And it's not it's not to say people are inherently evil and they're all chasing money. It's like, no, money is just the primary means for survival. So as an organism yes. that's trying to survive and reproduce into the future at some point, like money is like the one of the main tools you need, right? It's like food, shelter, money. Well, or money's better than food and shelter because money can get you food. Yes. Yes. So yes. when you corrupt that primary economic, social, socioeconomic fabric, it doesn't seem surprising to me that there's this proliferation of corruption and crime and, and just social corrosion. So it's not fun to talk about, but um, I, I appreciate you, you know, talking about that because it needs to be talked about so that it can be addressed. Yeah. So, so now again, this brings us to um, Bitcoin, right? So, um, I, 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 I only got into cryptocurrencies a couple of months ago. So being and and to be fair, reality was what brought me um, to the cryptocurrency side. Uh, if you read Rothbard, you read Mises, you leave them being a gold book, right? I'm. I'm one of those Peter Schiff and Keith Wiener kind of people. I love, I love gold. I love silver. I love um, metal monies, right? But then, um, how do you buy those in Nigeria, given the fact that people can't even afford to eat? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you buy gold? Um, how do you stop the government from confiscating gold? Um, with with um very very little naira, you can buy cryptocurrencies, mm-hmm. right? You can buy cryptocurrencies, and um, if I decide to trade my commodities in gold, for example, now this is not to say I'm I'm anti gold. I'm very very pro gold. 
if I if I were the president of Nigeria today, of course I would let the market decide what I would lean. I personally would lean um, towards gold and silver, but I concluded that it's almost impossible for gold to become money at this time in this kind of society, right? It's expensive. It can be, it's easily confiscated. Um, it's it's not something you can, um, if you have to leave the country, it's not something you can just easily take with you. It's not easily saleable. You know, like how do you find it, someone to buy your gold? Yeah. Perhaps in America, yes, you have dealers, but it's not, it's not the same here. Yeah. So I had to face reality at some point that if we are going to subvert um, the monetary system, if we're going to subvert the government, um, cryptocurrencies have to be on the table. So I decided that um, going forward in my seminars, rather than just talk about good money and let the market decide, I will also include, so I I prepared a cryptocurrency um, segment, you know, talking about how cryptocurrencies can be used to subvert um, the government, to subvert the money and to put a stop um, to this problem. So I have some money saved up for my next event and I got the money through um, cryptocurrency. I got, it was actually the Monero people and some of them helped me out, right? So um, I saw how useful it was and how the value just didn't fall like the way the Naya falls. It held its value and um, throughout the period I, I held it. You know, so I, I saw how easy it was to just send and receive, yeah. you know, no no stress, no banks, no. So I, so don't knock it till you try it. Basically was what sure. I, I was knocking it before I tried it. Yeah. Right. So I've gotten into Bitcoin as well. And um, I, I intend to teach these things to my students when I go to these um, I even want to do. Someone suggested that if I if I go to a place where they don't use, where they don't have cryptocurrencies, maybe I could just give I could just give them maybe a dollar, two dollars, three dollars worth of the stuff, you know, just distribute to a couple of students. Let them hold it. Maybe let them um, trade it for naira and spend. You know, they see this is nice. You know, let let um, the Bitcoin value go up, and then they see their the, the value of their coins increase you know those kinds of things are very interesting so yeah i, I like I, the, the mantra that where where your money goes your mind follows which uh, maybe you could say it more specifically like where you place your purchasing power is what you start to think about in a way and so you get people just holding bitcoin right they start to study bitcoin naturally and they yeah. study bitcoin well what is bitcoin First question after that is, oh, Bitcoin is money. Okay, what is money? That's obviously this whole podcast of this, or the rabbit hole of this podcast, rather. So um, it's important, right? I don't, by any means necessary, I think, just getting people to ask this fundamental question uh, and take a look at the reality of the world we live in, right? We have a, a world based on corrupt money. What are the consequences of that? I mean, you could argue that they are more or less severe, but I don't think anyone can argue that they're not negative. I mean, they, they're emphatically negative, right? If To the extent that theft is bad, fiat currency is bad. It's only a tool for theft. So 
I think it's really important that you're you're educating people and, and awakening them to this reality. And um, you know, I really focus on Bitcoin, but it's good to hear the Monero people helping you out. You know, I I don't yeah. I don't think it's decentralized. I don't think that it will persist into the future, which is why I really just narrow my focus to Bitcoin. But you know, if if the tool is working right now for people and helping you do your events and help people transact and escape inflation, then, you know, so be it. Let them use the best tool for the job. Uh, I think it's it's freedom above all else. So, um, Econ Bro, man, I think this has been a great overview of, of the nature of money in Nigeria. Uh, again, I, I appreciate you you diving into some of these deeper, darker domains. Like these things do need to be talked about for people to take the corruption of money seriously. This is not just some academic abstract exercise. This is a technology that is very important for human beings, human cooperation, human peace, human prosperity. And if we don't build some awareness around its corruption, then i I don't see a lot of hope for the human race, frankly. Um, so thank you again for that. Um, do you have any closing words? Um, or if not, you could just let people know where they can find you on the internet. Um, just <laughs> on my Twitter, um, econbro, E-C-O-N-B-R-E-A-U. That's my Twitter handle, E-C-O-N-B-R-E-A-U. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for or let me tell my story to your audience. Hopefully, I'll be able to get followers, um, support of any kind. Um, anything is anything to help push this um, course forward. Maybe some press someone else might watch this interview and say, "Hey, come on my show and talk about what you're doing." I have I have stories to tell, and hopefully, maybe if I return some other time, um, there are wacky stories to tell. You know, things. Um, wacky things that happen here. Perhaps I'll come on some other time to talk about it. Um, thank you very much for having me on. Um, God bless you. Thank you so much. 